Okay, I've defeated the Dark Lord Windows updates. And we can now be in for real this time. We're okay. not recording out of my webcam. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. It's me, my parents, and Leah Neeson. And we are here. We are totally here. We, okay. We're ready. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm Patrick. I'm Carrie. And this week, we didn't go to the library, so we are at the mercies of Amazon Prime. Right. Uh, well, I, I feel the need to say welcome to the podcast where, yes, it's Dan, his parents, and we're watching Liam Neeson movies to see how much peril he's in. Yep. That's the whole purpose of our podcast, yep. and it's family fun. It is family fun. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the family in this film and their we, definition of fun is... Un- not the same definition as our family yeah. fun. We're going to put that right on the table right now. So, That's okay. in this film, a film is called... You have the, to sit up. The I'm Good Mother. Attention. He's paying attention, but... I don't know, know, is he close enough to the microphone? Yeah, he's a little quiet. All right. Um, so, this film is called The Good Mother. It came out in 1988, which is a year I don't think we've talked about, which means I really should do we my job that up. and get out well, of the Academy I Awards. I would think... I would think a movie called The Good Mother should be a good movie. Wouldn't you think? No, it's just titled that, honey. Well, it was also directed by someone known for doing some directions of some good movies. I I feel like maybe we have talked about this one before because I... Actually, no, I don't think we did. Uh, best Picture uh, was Rain Man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Best Actor, Dustin Hoffman. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Kevin Klein was Best Supporting, Fish Called Wanda. Uh, best actress and supporting actress both went to people from The Accused, Jodie Foster and Gina Davis. Yeah. Uh, best director, Barry Levinson for Rain Man. Uh, Rain Man got best original screenplay. So that was yeah, the, that yeah, was, yeah. That was but let's talk movie. about this film. Uh, ooh, best visual effects. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Not this movie. Okay. Not this film. No, this film, uh, if we're going to start off with the uh, who is who in this film, the director of this film... One Leonard Nimoy, by the way, born in Boston. Wonder if that's why this movie was there. Mm, maybe. I, <laughs> uh, if we're going to go for when other things happened, Star Trek Four official IMDb says 1986. That's the whale movie. That's the that's whale the movie. Whale movie. Good, but he directed that. Number yeah. six was uh, the last one. That was 1991. So this is in the middle there of the. Two other of those last two good Star Treks mm-hmm. because the evens mm-hmm. were good and the odds were bad. Right. Well, and I yeah. knew about this film because I watched the documentary called um, For the Love of Spock that Leonard Nimoy's son put that documentary together before Le- Leonard Nimoy passed away. In that documentary, Leonard Nimoy talks about the Star Trek movie, which was the the whale movie which was really really successful and he was coming off of that success and then did this movie yes which on this documentary Leonard Nimoy is very uh, to the point about how he felt that this movie did fun fact uh, Star Trek episode four mm-hmm. contains a temporal paradox loop which is closed with the third remake Star Trek film because mm-hmm. they go back in time. They hear someone playing a Beastie Boys song on a boombox. Right. A later Beastie Boys song mentions the name Spock. Mm-hmm. And then in the third remake Star Trek film, I the Beastie Boys are used as sonic warfare and referred to as classical music. It's all good. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't even remember it's that part. It's very yes. strange that the Beastie Boys 
are mm-hmm. part of the official Star Trek canon in more than one way. You got to you got to put that good. together, but <laughs> only Dan could put that together. But that really does, <laughs> but that has internet. nothing to do with the good mother. No. no. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, you've seen him in Star Trek. You've seen him in other things. You may have seen him in a music video for Bruno Mars. We didn't Uh, see him in this movie. We did not see him in this movie. He did not make a cameo appearance. I think that's... He didn't Stan Lee this. Probably for the best. I think so. I think that would have been a distraction. All right. Well, we should run through the people that are in this film because there's kind of a lot of them. And it was how long till we saw Liam Neeson? About 20 minutes. It was 20 minutes before he showed up with his Irish accent. Yep. So... Uh, the leading lady of this film was Diane Keaton, who has the been good, in a lot of things. Yes, the goodbye girl. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, she's in Finding Dory, apparently. I don't know. Dan will tell us in a minute. He's looking at his rectangle. Yep. Patrick and uh, I are not looking the at our rectangles. Known fours. Uh, we've got her in Annie Hall. Annie yes. Hall. Something's got to give with uh, Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Manhattan. The yeah. Family Stone. Yeah. Those are the, her big known fours. She's apparently in the uh, Netflix Green Eggs and Ham series as a character. Well, awesome. I know this. <laughs> like, uh, we watched that. She's got an Oscar. She did? Uh, for Annie Hall? Uh, for Annie Hall. Annie Hall. I uh, remember seeing Annie Hall. nominated in Something's Gotta Give, Marvin's Room, and Reds, none of which I know about. I didn't hmm. particularly like Annie Hall, but, you know. I think it was just Woody not, Allen. It was it's, not our type of film. Woody Allen is not my go-to. It's my not Shakespeare. Go-to. It's not Shakespeare. But she's definitely been in a lot of things she's mm-hmm. well known uh, well she was i mean a bigger name yep uh, now liam neeson was not a big name at this time he hadn't done schindler's list no so he was not a big was, name yet he wasn't a big name yet. he was just the tallest man in boston yep i uh, so i uh, the lawyer guy jason robards mm-hmm. he's been around for a while he's been around for a while i uh, he had been around for a while even then yep mm-hmm. he was he has two oscars very recognizable. What are his uh, Oscars for? Nominee, he, uh, supporting roles in All the President's Men and oh. Julia. Oh. Ah. How about that? Ah. Uh, but. And Ralph Bellamy, Christmas movie, Trading mm-hmm. Places. Uh, let's see. Yeah. He wasn't in Cocoon, was he? Mm-mm. No. No, he's been, he's, he's been in a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. All the President's Men is a, a Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman movie. It's yes. a good movie. Yeah, it's a good one. You've yeah. watched that Multiple times. Probably. I watched that recently. Yeah. Uh, next, we'll go to the Ralph, grandpa. Ralph Bellamy. Ralph Bellamy. He's nominated for an Oscar. He's uh, been around a long time. Even before this film. Yeah, he was an honorary winner in 1987. His Oscar nomination was in 1938. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. Well, he was a pretty old dude for this movie. And he got a mm-hmm. uh, nominated for a primetime Emmy for playing FDR in 1983. Wow. Yeah. I believe uh, mom correctly placed him as f- being from Trading Places. Yes. Yeah, he's Mr. Duke. Mr. Duke. He is. Along with Don, Don Amici. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he played a role in a Cary Grant film back in 1940. That's one of the important ones here. Mm. He's in Pretty Woman. Interesting. Ah, his role in Pretty Woman was his last role, 1990. He died in 91. Huh. Uh, well. The grandma. Yeah. Died in 2005. Uh, she has an Oscar as well. Really? Uh, best Actress in a Supporting Role in a film I'm sure you haven't heard of because it's called Mrs. Miniver in oh, 1942. Mrs. Oh, yeah. I have heard of that. Uh, yep. Sure. Huh. I uh, nominated for two other uh, roles in 1942 and 1941. 
Well, hmm. you go, girl. Uh, she so yeah, she's been in a lot of things. So Mr. Nimoy's casting person yep. was was finding some notables. Yep. Uh, the last film she was in was The Rainmaker in 1997. She's working. Yeah. All the way into her. Uh, old age. We're going to keep her. going through stuff. Uh, the uh, lawyer for the prosecution. Yeah. Uh, is a guy by the name of Joe Morton. Right. Uh, which I will recognize as being from yeah. uh, Serenity and yeah. Firefly as yeah. the... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was in Terminator 2. He was in, he was oh, in yeah. Eureka, mostly, I believe, because he was in Firefly. Yeah. He was in yeah. Speed. He was in Paycheck. Okay, yeah. okay. He, he, That's he, why he's familiar. He does a pretty good... Uh, not mad scientist. He does a pretty good disappointed scientist. Yes. He's not a mad scientist. He's a disappointed scientist. Well, wasn't it the... Which which movie was it where... I think it was the Terminator movie. Yeah. Because he's he was the Skynet scientist guy. who came up with the with some of the key technology. Yeah. For Skynet. Yeah. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's not a mad scientist. Yeah. He's just disappointed. He's scientist. a no-nonsense really guy. Scientist. Yeah. No-nonsense. Yeah. Doesn't know what he's creating. Because he's, he's just doing uh, science. Dad correctly placed the uh, lady that is the piano student. Slash Diane friend. Ke- slash friend of Diane Keaton, uh, who is Katie Sagal, as being the wife from Married with Children. Those newer to uh, pop culture will recognize her voice as the voice of Taranga Leela in Futurama. Ooh. <laughs> which is where I would recognize her more of. Her uh, voice is pretty recognizable. She was also in Sons of Anarchy, which is a very important show. Did not know that. But I did huh. not know that one. Uh, she's still doing stuff. Uh, lots of stuff. Well, because she's not that old. She's not that old. Uh, more people I looked up. Mm-hmm. I looked up Larry Nimoy. Asia Vieira is the little girl in this film. Oh, mm. okay. Six at time of filming. I. Uh, this was her first role and wouldn't be in another thing for another two years when she was in a movie called The Kissing Place. So, you know, interesting. Her mother isn't Meredith Vera. Internet says... Doesn't say. Okay. Must not be. Uh, she was in Omen 4, The Awakening, as uh, some f- sort of <laughs> scary child. Okay. I'm shaking my head and making a face Omen like, four. uh, Mom yep. says like, no. Why did they bother to make four of yep. them? Is oh. that what you were saying? Uh, <laughs> Ugh, they're just such bad not films. Not much to say about this. Uh, budget of $14 million didn't even make five. In In the documentary, Leonard Nimoy talks about what a flop this movie was. Because the Star Trek movie did really, really well, and this just flopped. I mean, he must have just, there must have been something artistically that spoke to his heart that he wanted to make this film. That's all I, that's all I can figure. He thought that there was some uh, social commentary that was coming out of it, something political coming out of it that spoke to his heart. And I was just thinking, why did they bother? So, Wikipedia says it's an adaptation of Sue Miller's novel of the same name. Mm-hmm. No link to the book, so the book was not worth a Wikipedia page. Right. Uh, Sue Miller is, though. I might look at that. The movie explores feelings and beliefs about children's exposure to adult sexuality and challenges society's growing reliance upon courts to settle complex private and ethical matters. See what I'm saying? It was a social It was a social commentary issue. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Political issue. That's why it was of interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book was published in 1986 and is this author's first published novel. That would be mm. a clue that maybe you don't want to pick it up as a film. I'm just saying. No, no. I'm just saying. Not necessarily. Could be a one-hit okay. wonder. Two of her mo- books have been made into movies. The other one is the short stories collection 
Inventing the Abbots and Other Stories. The film Inventing the Abbots in 1997. Whatever that means. With Liv Tyler and Joaquin Phoenix. Well, go. Who I believe just won Best Actor. Okay, but I have a question. Uh, in, in, in Golden Globes. Uh, oh, you got yeah, yeah. Because the Academy Awards aren't out yet. Gotcha. Anyways. But I mean, you said there was out. somebody in this film who there was is a, an extra, extra. It's an unconfirmed extra. Googling his name in the film did not lead me to any screenshots. Mm-hmm. So we looked. We watched the we whole watched, film. We watched, and we did not see Matt Damon. <laughs> but we looked. Oh, because it's Boston. Because it's Boston. Oh, and that's where he grew up. Yep, we did not see in this film Matt Damon, but according to the internet, he's there somewhere. <gasps> I bet he's in that bar scene. I bet he's in the bar scene. We should maybe go back and watch the bar scene. I don't scene. know. I don't know if I want to watch this movie again. I just want to fast forward to the <laughs> bar scene and look for Matt Damon. No, yeah. no, no, no. We just fast forward and look in the bar scene. All right, so in case you couldn't tell, listeners of the internet, we weren't especially enthralled by this film. No. Uh, let's go for some easy things to hit. Uh, costumes. What do you oh my of? goodness, there were so many shoulder pads. So, this was very 80s. It was so set in the 80s, pads. and it was there were big shoulder pads, really long skirts. Um, Liam Neeson's hair looked like it had a loose perm in it, and sometimes his hair was just he's definitely the free tallest flowing, man in Boston. Free flowing permed hair, but then sometimes it was very definitely um, blow dried, which is a very 80s thing. Blow dried up and back, yep. um, with a little bit of a mullet going on, which is very pushing the limit of you know he's an artist so he's got his hair growing a little bit longer this uh, i would be chronologically the first film where liam neeson plays a sculptor that uses old car parts and he would reprise this role in before and after with meryl streep that's right (laughs) that's right it's uh didn't think about that oh we've come around and around on this podcast i so our zero and easy on this one is about 20 minutes. But this is a movie that's an hour and 45 long. Yeah, so it's a little ways in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to cover a few things first. So our main character, we start seeing her in the past with her mother. Or and her she is cousin, narrating. Or her aunt. It was her aunt. It was her aunt. Mm-hmm. We don't see her mother, I don't think. I think her mother is in one of the crowds. Yeah. But she's, because she says no to the brother. You can't go out with aunt babe today yeah she mouths the word no now this aunt babe is an extremely open person Mm -hmm. in that what how old do you think that girl was at the time 10 i was saying 12 12 uh this aunt says that she's pregnant the girl's like well what's that like and she starts describing it and she describes it by unbuttoning her shirt and kind of pointing on herself where her body feels different and it's okay. Well, my response was, when I was pregnant, I would not have done that to a 12-year-old niece. Yes. That's just, that was breaking. I think that that set the tone for the whole rest of the film yeah. about breaking down the the uh, privacy of sexuality, the privacy of our body parts. We were, we were exposed to that con- conceptually early in the film. Yes. And we, and we were a little shocked by it, and, I, and maybe that was yeah. part of the get the shock factor yeah. out there so that we're not shocked later when everything else happens. And everything else does happen. It does happen. So various things happen in this film and we get to her as an adult, single mother, divorced, we learn mm-hmm. eventually. She's got her daughter that she loves very much and will and, later... And I think that part, that aspect of her 
character is played really well. It's the most important aspect of her character because Wait. it does basically yeah. drive the rest of the film. It's yeah. the title of the film. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, she does it well. It's not the most obvious motherhood is the important part of this that I've ever seen in printed media. That would still that, that title still goes to the video game Metroid Other M where they thought they were really clever and put the M at the end of the word instead of the beginning. <laughs> I just thought I she could was talk about how bad that is for a while. <laughs> I just as a as a mother, I thought she was a really permissive mother. And Even she, before the things started happening. She allowed her child to make all kinds of decisions that I think that as a mom there are times when Yes, you want your child to make choices, but it seemed like she was indulging the child to an extreme, allowing the yeah. child to make choices. I wonder if it was because she's an only child, and so she doesn't have to juggle four different kids' independence? It could be that, or it just could be that, well, she because her marriage failed, that's all she had left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the having of the child is the basic plot of the film. No matter what Liam Neeson sexy times can try and do to disrupt it. That's right. Uh, and eventually we are introduced to the Liam Neeson. At and then a there's sexy times. At a laundromat where he attempts to pick up. He picks up her underwear. He picks up her underwear and then he picks her up. Boom. Gets coffee with her. Kaboom. Eventually. She doesn't and then go he right gets away. a lot more than coffee. Yeah. No, they. Mm, oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, they, and they're really bad. She's really bad at sex. I think, I think, but I think... Listeners of the podcast have not heard us talk about how bad Russell Crowe is at crime, but she is worse at sex than he is at crime. <laughs> That's because we couldn't talk about that film because Liam Neeson was only in one scene. We watch an entire movie for you podcast and we don't get to talk about it. That was last Because week. of our own rules. That was, that was last week. Do they week. know our own rules? Uh, we've discussed the rules before. We're going to discuss uh, it again. Gangs of New York, we definitely got close. The, the rules being that Liam Neeson's character has to be in at least three scenes. Yes. He has to, of note. He has to appear in three scenes, otherwise it is a cameo and does not count. So and last week we watched The Next Three Days. With Russell Crowe, and Liam Neeson appears in one scene. Yeah. So we watched the whole film, he but was then important. didn't make a podcast. He was important. He was. As a character. But he was only there but a little bit. he was only bit. in one scene. So, I, so he doesn't, though that character does not count for the peril meter, which is really the whole reason why we're watching these films. Yes. Right. We're definitely not watching them for their good quality. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have skipped this film. We would have skipped a lot of these. Uh, this one, I mean, this one is fun to watch because Liam Neeson is so young. He is. And he's very energetic. And boy, like his character tries really hard. He starts. True. He starts off as kind of a creeper, and then he starts. Tr- he comes around on it, and it's good. And mm-hmm. I start giving a crap about his character. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people in this movie that I actually cared about their character. Yeah. Even Diane Keaton kind of waffled on me a little bit. The grandma. The grandma was good. Yeah. We the cared- grandma was a grandma quality was. character. We we really the the grandma was good. And the grandma she was wasn't the best on character. screen that much. She was nope. definitely the best character. In but this she movie. made it. Yeah. The little girl. Also good. She did a. She was a really good job. She yeah. did a really for being a six year old. She did a great job because mm-hmm. sometimes you can tell when the kids are. She kind of acted like a six year old. Yeah. Oh, weird. Well, and, or sometimes <laughs> they don't really they don't look loving toward their the parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their and they, character and they parent didn't really need to have that need. They were like, it was just more like the goodbye, hellos, goodbyes, and you can fake that a lot easier. But when you're six, you can't. Yeah. It won't show up on film. Well, they they must have spent time 
um, enduring the the Diane Keaton and Asia Vieira together, yeah. just playing together, having fun together, mm-hmm. because it looked like they had fun together and they like liked they each other. Like they had a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, right. I had the stunt frog at the end there. Oh my oh, goodness, yes. that, that was that a trained was a, that frog. Was a good, well-trained frog to be chased around by a girl. Either that, or they must have had a huge bucket of mm-hmm. them ready for that girl to chase frogs. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, there was a couple of you know the day for night shots that went. Oh wait a minute, yeah, what's that? I got, or... I got upset about those. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember why. Why did I uh, mention duck season, rabbit season? What part of the movie was that? Duck season. It was the season. the grandparents. Oh yeah, and the grandfather was being a pain when she was asking the granddaughter was asking for money. And he was and the trying grandma. to get into the details. Yeah. And the and, grandma came. And the grandma it. came and was trying to say, like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, no, you're not. I am. No, you're not. And she basically tricked him into saying that he was going to be helpful. And I said it was duck season, rabbit season. And mom and dad didn't know what I was talking about. So I Googled that one, too. Strap in internet. Let's go back to 1951. That's before I was born. See, I have an excuse. Rabbit Fire is a 1951 Looney Tunes cartoon. Wow. It's, that was when cartoons were when, really good. When I Googled it, that's what came up. Mm-hmm. And base, and it's now a TV Tropes entry uh-huh. where a good, generally good guy and bad guy mm-hmm. are arguing over two points of content, over a point of contention. And like, the inti- uh-huh, nuh-uh. The, exact, that's exactly, uh-huh, that's in fact exactly the example they give. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the protagonist deftly switches their point in the argument mm-hmm. to the opposing side. And the antagonist, who is not paying attention and is so infuriated, just be is contrary. Mm-hmm. And so in the example of Looney Tunes, it's Bugs Bunny says, it's duck season, Elmer Fudd should shoot the duck. And Daffy says it's rabbit season. He should shoot the rabbit. Duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, rabbit season. I say it's duck season, and I say fire. And so Daffy tells Elmer Fudd to shoot him. Mm-hmm. And that's the example is repeated over and over. And that's basically what happened: is the grandma showed up and uh, took up an opposing argument, and he was so upset that he just was contrary, and then realized that he was right. I wonder if they knew it was duck season, rabbit season. I don't think they did. I don't think they did. I think it was just good arguing. She tricked him very deftly, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, best character in the film. Yeah. She She really was. She was good. That's the kind of grandma I'm going to be, except you're not going to argue with me. So how much do we want to talk about what actually happens at the end of... The, the, we the, don't care about that. The problem at the end of this movie. No, we don't care about that. There's definitely a problem at the end of this movie. It's not... Physical peril problem. I'd no. say that the peril scale in this one is going to be in the zero range. It's going to be in the zero to zero range. Yes. Yeah. Now, at the end of this film, there's definitely something that made everyone watching it go... Uh, Emotional uh, stress was a little bit high. Stress uh, is not peril, Dad. But yeah. stress is not peril. <laughs> like, yes, it was exploring the boundaries of, you know, child's exposure to sexuality, but it's also one of those where you go, even now, where in our bright, enlightened age of everyone can be who they want to be it's still uh, it's still, a little weird it's okay boomers the world has not managed to in 32 years the world has still not managed to decide that that's okay because all of the free love from hate ashbury in the 60s really didn't change us into these wildly 
openly sexual beings and we think that all sex is okay even with six-year-olds so some people on the internet believe that those people are weird and we don't talk to them we just well those people will probably (laughs) they could still get locked up if they act on their yeah assumptions so but in any case i things go poorly for the main character and i would say honestly the end of this movie does not have the main character in a positive place my my i think the main character ends up where she started Rowing a boat in the middle of the lake, yeah. unsure of herself. But yep. what, I, what I think is important is, from a, a character development standpoint, is that the adult characters who are, shall we say, presenting this sexuality question, yeah, do not seem like perverted weirdos. No, they're not. The characters seem like fairly normal people, which I think is the point of the film. Yeah, is that they're exploring the the social norms without presenting it as completely whacked out characters yeah child molesters yeah they're not they're not really child molesters and yet and yet there is challenge in the whole story which is kind of the thing with if we're going to broaden this out a lot uh we've discussed this with the problem with every fandom is that there are some people that are outspoken and take it too far and they make a bad name for everyone else sure now I'm not exactly saying I don't want to equate this to some pedophiles are okay because that's definitely not <laughs> what I want not to be. That's, that's definitely not, not what I want to say. No. But this movie is definitely doing the kind of thing where you know to make a an incredibly probably not accurate metaphor. Not every Christian wants to burn people at the stake. Mm-hmm. Some of them are perfectly normal people. This movie is a this is a movie about perfectly normal people that are I uh, treated as not normal because people that do things kind of like what they do are not normal. Right. Mm. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, and I think it's that... A, it, it was a matter of perceptions. Yes. Well, and this movie, I think, does push you to examine what do you believe and how do you believe that and why do you believe that. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I identified with the main character at all. Probably not. Mm-mm. I will say that no matter how much we can examine and appreciate the pretense of this film, it was not a well-done film. Well, we, I'm not sure that I knew what the director was trying to get at. There's definitely that part in the middle where it appears someone pushed the plot button. Mm-hmm. And we definitely, oh, the fast-forward button? We definitely, yeah. There was a point where someone realized that we had to move on to the next thing and we needed to establish stuff, mm-hmm. and we hadn't done so yet. And so all of a sudden they had a fight, and we don't know why. And it was a very important fight that mattered to the ending, but it came out of nowhere. But the movie was really, really slow. Except for the for parts the first, where it wasn't. For mm-hmm. the first half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really slow. Or more, yeah. Well, and now we're used to Marvel movies, that everything well, is just true. you know loud and in your face Which, and uh, tumbling According to Martin walls. Scorsese, Marvel movies. I, I would actually, in most cases, agree with him <laughs> on the subject of Marvel movies. I consider them good comic book movies yeah. and not necessarily good movies. Yeah. Maybe not bad movies, yeah. but right. not good films in the oeuvre of film. Well, yeah. in the story, yeah. good well, point. storytelling yeah. plot. Yeah. Certain, I know, we're cer- getting way off track. Certainly but, not you know. in the mom-appreciated oh, yeah. realm of uh, yeah. excellent script writing and full yeah. sentences mm-hmm. yeah i've got big news this last week well martin scorsese's got to do what he's got to do yeah he's got a pretty good rep 
Yeah. You know to say. I mean, we've watched a couple of his movies. They we've watched good. a couple. They were pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we're going to leave it at a zero out of zero. I think this I is a zero peril. That. Sorry. All right. Well, let me make it official before we I was trying to figure out some situation in the movie where he had peril. And no, maybe when she was holding his hand and they were walking out in the middle of traffic in Boston. Physical peril, but no. It was all emotional. And, uh, no, we've talked and about that, that before. And that doesn't count. No. Oh, man, we have talked about 88 before. It was for the Deadpool with... Oh, that uh, was with your friend. Uh, that no, was no, re- no, no, no. That was Dark Bad. We've that was 1990. About- the Deadpool oh. was with Clint Eastwood. No, no, but I meant the Deadpool. Didn't you do that podcast? No, with that was Dark Man. We did, do it. we did Deadpool. I did Deadpool. Yeah, it was with famed thespian James Carey. Oh, I forgot <laughs> that part. thespian James Carey. That was really a long not, time ago. It was not Deadpool... Uh, the Marvel movie. Marvel no, this movie was character. the Deadpool. The Deadpool. As in, there is no life left in this pond. So, at the end of the podcast, we always talk about the Liam Neeson peril scale, which means we are giving a a, new, a number, 0 to 10, how much peril Liam Neeson's character is in in this particular mm-hmm. film. Physical peril. We have decided that stress is not peril. That's mm-hmm. Emotional right. distress, not peril. Doesn't count. Uh, we've seen a few films where... High levels of emotional stress caused peril to occur, but that's different because different. then it became physical. Oh, I know. I... And just because he dies doesn't mean it's perilous. Yeah, we've with that. You'll have sometimes to... he dies twice. Yeah, that's a I... fine line. <laughs> well, you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast on uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where he dies and his peril is not high. Yes, see, see what true. I'm saying? See. Or, just... or what was the one where he died twice? There was only was... one movie where he died. The, twice. That would no. Be, that, yeah, that was Widows. Widows. I thought yeah. he, died he died twice in two movies. Uh, that would be four times. I don't think so. Okay. He definitely no. dies in a couple of them. Well, I think there were movies where he oh. died and then he came back because of backflashes. That, flashbacks. Well, there's also Chronicles of Narnia where he oh. dies and comes and back comes to life. See what I'm saying? But he doesn't die a second time in that one. That That's... time he just jumps at... Uh, he jumps at poor uh, Tilda Swinton and That's then yells at her until she goes away. But but that wasn't the first time he was uh, representing Jesus. a That wasn't the first time Jesus he was character. Jesus in a movie? <laughs> representing some deity? All right. Well, we've done, definitely done talking about this movie now. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>